My name is Matt Galloway. I am an editor at Cambridge University Press, and I, with me today is Claudie Optenkamp, who is an editor of the book, A History of Intellectual Property in 50 Objects. And we're just going to, this book was just published uh, in the past week. It's a full color uh, book, which is not something we do every day in the law division at Cambridge University Press anyway. Um, so far the feedback has been amazing and I just wanted to talk to Cloudy a little bit today about the um, the genesis in the of the book and because you know people, so far the feedback as I said has been amazing and people, I think readers will have a lot of questions about how the idea actually came together. And um, with that in mind, why don't I just begin by asking you, Cloudy, like when did this, you know, how did, how did this project begin for you? Um, okay, well, hi, to, to begin with, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. It's, it's um, been an amazing journey so far, so it's really nice to sort of finally be talking to you with an actual copy in front of me. Um, for me, it started uh, by uh, applying for a job. Um, so uh, I saw a, a job at, at Swinburne University in, uh, in Australia, in Melbourne, um, and I had just finished my my PhD, which is sort of a crossover between film and uh, intellectual property, and I had this tremendous interest in intellectual property, and I saw this job ad um, that they were looking for um, a postdoctoral research fellow. But what was really special about uh, the ad, and actually now retrospectively, it's so interesting because you know now I know uh, Dan and the school a lot better, and uh, the ad said that they were looking for someone. Uh, not necessarily with an IP background, but for instance, the ad also said that you could be coming from game studies. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And that says something about the openness with which they are looking at, at this topic or the interdisciplinarity of it. And um, so I was thinking, you know, film studies is sort of a, <laughs> an extension of that. So I was like, okay, there. They're, they're open to this. And then um, and then actually it went very, very quickly. Uh, Dan and I had a first uh, conversation during which he, he uh, mentioned this project, that he had started it um, with, with a friend, just to sort of, um, you know, bouncing ideas around, could you do this? Because this is obviously built on uh, the British Museum example, a history of the world and a hundred objects. And then he started wondering, um, you know, whether this would be possible with uh, intellectual property, which is, you know, and there's this extra interesting layer for, uh, for IP, because it would be, you know, studying the intangibles through the tangible. So that was really uh, exciting, the way he explained it to me. And for me personally, there were a lot of interests that came together um, in, in that. So I really like editing, but also the visual aspect of it. So, so when you were, when you went into this, uh, this postdoc, like you were talking about the project in your interview, like, like it was actually something that you were already planning to work on at that point? 
yes, it, it was it was more like the, the, the pre-interview conversation. I don't actually know whether it came up during the during the actual interview, but because Dan um, started uh, Swinburne Law School, and I think at the time uh, the school hadn't even been in existence for for a year, obviously was inundated with you know lots of other work. And I think um, you know his his own research was was sort of like oh you know he, he wanted to do something with it but obviously he was too busy, and then um, this postdoc was going to to you know help him um, uh, I guess get get this out. So so, part of so I'm sorry just to give a sense of uh, a t- of time because I think it's always kind of interesting to think yes. about how long books take. I mean I think I met. I met Dan, I want to say, in 2016. So what year What year did you uh, begin this? I'm talking about 2015. So 15, so, I, okay. My own headed works that, you know, from first conversation about it to having the book in my hand, that was, that was four years, but the actual work on it, because I still had to move there, and then, you know, there, there were lots of things to get, to get through, that's about three years, which I think, I mean, you, you know better. I, I, it seems a very realistic academic book, sort of turnaround time. I think it's, so. It's incredible, right? Because I have the feeling we worked so very hard on this, and, and it took three years. Yes, so yeah. I'm still astonished by that. Well, I mean, I think especially for a book like this that has a lot of moving parts. Um, yeah. And I should just say for anyone who hasn't seen the book that the the book has, I believe, well, obviously 50 chapters, but each of the chapters includes a number of images. How many images in each chapter would you say? I think with an average of seven per image for a total of around 350. Yeah, so, so that yeah. that is a lot of images, yes. um, and I want to talk about that a little bit more. Um, but just to 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 go to go back, so you and Dan started working on it. You put together a proposal, which then I received, and then a um, and I guess at that point the first sample chapter was was on Barbie, right? Yes. The one that you and. Yeah. And what I think uh, the, the Barbie chapter is very um, sort of exemplary of uh, not only what the idea of the book is, but also you know the, the kind of research um, that I think by now uh, Dan and I both think is you know very very interesting uh, because it takes this really recognizable thing that everybody knows about, but you have perhaps no idea of this larger story uh, around it, and then. Also, the social repercussions of um, of an object like that. So I remember starting to work uh, with Dan on on his research, predominantly Barbie and Lego, and he had these huge pieces of maybe each fifteen to twenty thousand words, and we started, and that was just like the most exciting job in the world, right? I mean, my job was then to sort of start distilling these. 2,000 to 2,500 word pieces from these larger stories, and that's uh, I, I now retrospectively realize that we settled on we did a lot of hard thinking at, at the beginning of these uh, of this project because that's how, for instance, we settled on this 
2000 word format that we realized that that was sort of a sweet spot um, for you know how long you can how long you can concentrate on a story because you can read this in, in 15 to 20 minutes and if we thought you know it was going to be richly uh, illustrated then that would be really neatly uh, packaged up so 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 talk a little bit about you know, once you arrived at that, two, like jumping forward a bit, how was it to actually, you know, it was one thing I'm sure working with Dan, who was like very close and was your colleague. And, but then once you had this, you know, once the project was approved and under contract, then you had to actually deal with, you know, 50 different personalies and in, in, in doing that same process of distillation, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> So in, in a way, it was a little bit of retro engineering, if, if you like, because we had this chapter that we thought was exemplary and we had sort of, I think when we sent it to you, we had about half of the book um, sort of dummied up, you know, as, 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 we, as we called it at the time, because we realized that, you know, by, by designing it visually up front, we, we attempted to, to answer quite a bit of content questions. Um, and I think we had about maybe 20 people in place by the time we sent it to you. I think that's right, yeah. And I kind of have to say that from then on out, it just, I mean, it sounds maybe boring to say, but it was never difficult to get people on board because it it was just, everybody was super excited from, from the beginning when they heard the concept, but also when they saw who was already attached, people wanted to be part of it. And then um, I think the, the the few people that said that, that they that they couldn't do it was really because they were you know uh, swamped with uh, with with other work. But everybody was like massively enthusiastic about um, the, the concept and, and and working for it. And everybody, I mean, and this was really fun, um, especially perhaps the the legal scholars. They were like, oh, how hard can it be to write two thousand words, right? Because that's that's like nothing and then um i think the format sorry that's what i was saying about retro engineering the the barbie chapter we had this really good and fun thing and then you sort of have to distill the elements from that to then describe it in in a more or less abstract way to to other people talking about other objects so we very quickly settled on okay it has to has to have like you know a recognizable object it then has to, the, the next circle around that is the IP story of, of that object. And then the, the much wider circle, which is how it all starts and, and what it is about and why it's important is, is the social repercussion um, of that combination between the object and, and the IP story. Talk a little bit about, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the selection of, I mean, I realize you had a, a dummy um, roster in place, but in terms of at the final 50, um, you know, were there any kind of like last minute surprises or, or things that you thought were going to go in that didn't quite make the cut? Um, and, you know, just uh, yeah, a little bit about that. Because um, the, the way I keep picture it in, in my head is that it's, it's, it's um, actually right up until the end. It was this big uh, puzzle of many, many aspects that we tried to handle simultaneously. So it was the objects, but it was also contributors. 
it was the categories that they represented, it was the, the different IP regime, so do we have enough design rights versus how many patents do we have, do we have enough geographical spacing, so there was a constant tweaking of, um, I guess what we call now the, 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 the final list, but the master list, for instance, which is of course, you know, um, material that, that that we've collected over more than three years is, is um, a lot uh, larger and so in the beginning I remember we had much more of a thematic ordering so we had categories such as uh, the home, uh, we had technology, we had uh, entertainment and then as we started filling those in but we realized that we you know needed other things that didn't perhaps neatly fit one of those categories. We we very quickly settled on um, chronological ordering, and then we realized that that, that allowed for much more recognition uh, between and across the objects. Um, and then once we settled on that, it really it really stayed like that. And then we just looked at sort of the the spacing over time. Um, kind of want to say that everything that's in, I think we solidly want it in. Um, there were a couple of things that we were trying for but didn't necessarily work out. So for instance, we really wanted a, a chocolate entry. Uh. We, we, we don't, so either a Kit Kat or Toblerone or something with um, a shape, trademark. Um, but also, I mean, no, at the end, it, it 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 is what it is, right? Because it's uh, it's it's very well possible to, to put a book book like this together with fifty entirely different uh, objects. Yeah, there were a couple that were really sort of necessary and you know obvious, and then a couple I think which are really uh, it's it's actually really surprising to see what people are already picking up from it, and I think both are personalities and, and our interests are, are really well represented in the book. Um, so it's very much uh, a combination of things that we thought had to be there and things that we just, you know, really uh, would like to see and that we have an interest in ourselves. One of the things that I really like about the book is that everyone I give it to seems to pick it up and almost immediately get, like, starts reading and it doesn't matter where they open the book and it doesn't even though it's even though it's presented in a chronological order i think it's very um it's it's easy to dive in anywhere and still get like the the like the themes of the book come through very consistently and I just wanted to get a sense of whether you were conscious of doing that as you were putting it together. I think, um, I, I mean, I want to say yes, because we have these five uh, time periods um, that we, you know, they are the color codes on the side of, of the pages. And I kind of have a feeling, because we also write in the, in the introduction that there are a multitude of ways to, to engage with the book, right? I actually personally think that no one will sit down and read this chronologically from cover to cover. Like, in the end, you, you might have read everything, but it's, it's exactly like you say, and I, you know, I've, I've seen people interact with it already as well, and then they open it up, and then it seems like they jump around which I think a chronological order uh, 
I don't know, enhances a little bit more because, for instance, if you would have a, a section that's called the home or entertainment, then perhaps you, um, I don't know, is, is stick within that that section. But the jumping around of it and, and you as a reader uh, making up your own path throughout it, but also maybe at the same time, especially if you're um, um, you know, well-versed in IP, then maybe you're even thinking of another object that you would, you would like to see or that you would want to um, research. So there, there's space for all of that. And I think by, by assigning an equal amount of pages to every object, by building it up in exactly the same way, by always having it open in the same way, I think it invites much more to to, to jump around. Um, so yeah, I think that's very much a part of how it was um, yeah, set up and designed. Talk to me a little bit about um, like like stepping away uh, from from the content of the book. Talk to me a little bit about sort of how you see the role of intellectual property in society, like right now, and like, and and how that has changed, and and where you see it going. And I guess what I'm getting at is. Like, I see this book as sort of being, like, something that, even though it, it probably could have been published 10 years ago, because, you know, obviously a lot of the entries are, you know, from objects that are hundreds or, in some cases, thousands yes. of years old. Yeah. My sense is that, the like, the book would not have resonated, or the proposal for the book wouldn't have resonated, whereas now it kind of makes like an almost intuitive sense. And I just wanted, if, if you, A, do you agree with that? And B, you know, what's kind of going on culturally that makes right. that true? I think that's such an interesting observation and I think it's absolutely true. And if I would, um, if I would map it onto my own sort of career journey, it's actually, um, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, or even, you know, I started my undergraduate 25 years ago, intellectual property or uh, in, in, in film, maybe mostly uh, a copyright was not something that was part of, uh, you know, my, my curriculum at all. Um, and even later on, when I did an exchange with the College of Santa Fe and did mainly practical classes, intellectual property was still not part of that curriculum. But all of a sudden, in about it's a larger change than that, but it became part of a daily lingo, right? right? All of a sudden, my students now know very well what intellectual property is and what they uh, perhaps you know are or aren't allowed. And at the same time, what I have found a really interesting change to notice is that when I started my PhD, uh, the um, the field of intellectual property was perhaps not as open to scholars from other fields to say things about their field. I, I remember being quite, I mean, there was quite some antagonism of, you know, if you weren't a lawyer, you weren't able or allowed even to say something about what they were studying. It was really us versus them. And that to me has completely changed. Um, 
you know, it's it's very much at the forefront of what we talk about every day in terms of creativity, innovation, um, and then if if I would like to, uh, if I could map it onto the book, we have out of the fifty, I want to say maybe thirty are solidly uh, uh, lawyers and, and, and IP scholars, and the others are not. Uh, they have a huge interest in the topic, but they come technically from a different background. And I think that interdisciplinarity is is right what we're living through, as, as you said. I think it, it is very much uh, a book of the now. And I think you're absolutely right. Ten years ago, maybe, maybe if it had had the same colorful color, people would have uh, picked it up. But uh, now, even, you know, my friends or partners of friends who sort of, you know, sit in the corner of, um, of, of the living room listening to our conversation, people go like, oh, that sounds interesting, because it also applies to them. And I think 10 years ago, people might not have realized that it also applied to them. The other thing I'm, I've noticed and that I'm, I'm sort of hoping just from uh, an exposure for the book standpoint is that like I have a, you know, I, I did go to law school and um, my sense is that there are a lot of lawyers who are, I would just call them or call us sort of frustrated creatives. And I think what this book does is it sort of like puts the law almost on a, on a level playing field with a lot of these other you know disciplines and there there is something like very artistic about it that in a way i think almost validates um like lawyers and ip lawyers and and and, and puts them in like sort of a more creative light um which i i think is sort of like the it's like it's a it's a function of what you're saying how you know the field has been in a way uh colonized by other disciplines but one of the benefits of that has been to you know really breathe some air in into the into the ip law and as a result like once the defense is gone it's like yes this is kind of great and here's a like here's what it's like with the work we're doing actually has a a big impact on society and culture i think that's absolutely absolutely right and it's not um maybe perhaps where we used to see it as a one-way street it's, it's very much a dialogue now and, and and i'm not saying that it never was a dialogue but i think it's come to the forefront a lot more where uh, and especially i mean if i if i apply it to film and, I, and i'm now working on, on this new idea about filmmaking and fair dealing or fair use exceptions uh, that is really i mean the legal the legal world and the creative filmmaking world uh, is hand in hand they influence uh, each other and they have come into each other's space um, and that to me is is more than more than interesting and i think it has always it has always been been there uh, so you know the legal aspect especially in, in certain creative uh, uh, professions has always played a, a huge part but I think now it's really uh, a visible a visible part of that process of creativity um, I, I think even the sort of everyday lay person is is now aware of that right um, do you think so there's 
Do you think there's any, um, in terms of the everyday lay person, um, and it's interesting that you just mentioned fair use, um, I find that a lot of people, and I see this as sort of an unfortunate consequence of IP, which I think is reflected you know, very nicely in the book because you talk about how, obviously, how you know, corporations will go a great distance to, to protect their brands. But my sense is that sometimes people aren't really aware of, of fair use and that sometimes like with, it's sort of like with the exposure of IP has come a kind of trepidation among people to actually use things yes. that they have a right to use. And I think, I think that's a, um, I think that's just another part of sort of the, the cultural conversation we can have about IP right now. And, um, but I, that said, I was very excited in the book, for example, to see um, in the Barbie chapter, you know, the, like the reference to the Todd Haynes uh, yes. movie. I mean, so... For me personally, that's the, that's the highlight of the book. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it is by far one of the most exciting emails I think I've ever in my life do you want to do you want to just want give it give give the give our audience a little yes. overview of what yes. superstar so is what happened is because we had this barbie uh, a chapter very very early on i i think that has been the one that uh, has seen the most iterations in terms of uh, images so um you guys at, at cambridge university press have this wonderful deal with uh Getty Images, you have a premium access account that was available to us, which is wonderful. Uh, but the biggest drawback of that is, of course, uh, the brands, right? So if you type into Getty Images um, a Barbie doll, you get a lot of creative uh, stock uh, photography, or for instance, Britney Spears holding uh, a, a Barbie doll, but not anything that we needed for that chapter. And particularly, the chapter speaks about uh, the litigation strategy of Mattel, the makers of, of Barbie, um, in order to silence artists that have tried to subvert the idea of Barbie. So, Mattel perhaps themselves were not, uh, you know, were not necessarily where we where we wanted to go for those for those images. So I remember mocking up this chapter uh, twice. One was with sort of all the stuff that was available to us uh, through Getty. Uh, and then on the other hand, I tried to mock it up with, what if I had absolute freedom? What would be the images that I would want to put in this, in this chapter? And then when you put the two next to each other, and I also, you know, when I show them the Dan and it's his chapter, I mean, it's very, very obvious which one we wanted. And so I remember sort of taking a deep breath. Um, this was right before we started like the actual production of the book and thinking, okay, so this is what it's going to be like. I'm going to try to get permission for all these images. And then I had expected uh, anything that was famous um, to, to be difficult. And it turned out to be not so difficult because it turned out to be, you know, people who are, I guess, famous or at the forefront of their field. They get so many of these requests that there are things in place. So my experience, so the, the first uh, the first one that I tried to get permission for was um, 
uh, Todd Haynes' film uh, Superstar, which is a, the story about uh, Karen Carpenter, which he uh, retold through um, uh, w with Barbies and which sort of became this underground film festival uh, uh, darling because the film disappeared and not only because Mattel uh, sued him but then uh, later on um, uh, Karen Carpenter's brother uh, sued him for music infringement and then the, uh, then the film really disappeared um, and sort of became this cult classic and uh, you know it took forever to sort of find the right agent and the assistant of the agent and then finally I get through to the right person I asked a question and then I get an email saying something like you know let our people get in touch with their people and you know I, I'm like well I'm never going to hear from them again and then I think not even 24 hours later I had an email saying like Todd says okay. Oh, that's amazing. What does this mean? What do you mean Todd, Todd says this is okay? And it was just so exciting that, um, you know, he he really liked the chapter because he had seen it and, um, and then he gave us the okay to use these images. And it was so exciting as, as a sort of uh, energy spark to start all that work, you know, because it took like eight months or so to, to put the the, the book together from a design point of view and that was really sort of the energy spark um, that we needed and, and also this idea of wow you can you can go to people and ask for their permission and then the rest of the chapter was um, was just wonderful um, you know the Barbie in the blender when we got permission uh, from the photographer to reuse that um, the people from Universal Denmark gave us permission for uh, a still from uh, Barbie Girl from the clip from Encore. I mean, that chapter was just a dream when the permissions came in. I thought it was really, really exciting. Um, and I think that in itself tells, tells a really interesting story about, you know, IP theory on one hand and then the cultural practices of IP. How does it actually work in in practice and um it's it a, it's so in pretty far by having a conversation with another person well it, so i mean really it would have been sort of disappointing if if todd haynes mm -hmm. you know had actually said no given for sure, for sure. <laughs> um but i think it was uh, it it's uh, but there are examples in the book and i i you know correct me if i'm wrong but i'm thinking of the the chanel chapter where the the founder initially was encouraging uh, uh, fakes. Is that? Am I remembering that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, she was very much. Um, so Coco Chanel was really um, in. in uh, she had this thing like, you know, if, if you copy me, it's, it's it's flattering, right? She invited people into her showroom to come in and draw and actually actively copy her work, which obviously is very different from. Um, you know what what their business policy is is now um but then um when we tried to get permission from the house of chanel to use a trademark ad which they had originally published in uh, women's wear daily around uh, maybe 2007 or so um that that was an, a trademark ad where they they sent out this note to to the industry uh, to actually tell them how they prefer their trademarks to be used. So you, you have to say something like, uh, 
uh, you, uh, sorry, you couldn't say something like, oh, uh, this thing that I've designed or this jacket that I've designed is Chanel-esque. You know, you're not allowed to use the word in that sense. So, so they sent out this warning to the industry. And because the chapter speaks so much um, about that policy, we really wanted to have this trademark ad in it. And then um, quite a bit of lawyers were uh, CC'd into these messages. And then in the end, they, um, they denied our request, which had nothing to do with the actual image, but they actually objected to uh, the content of the chapter that they wanted to see uh, because it discusses Coco Chanel's um, Second World War history. And they suggested a rewrite. And then fortunately, you know, if you work with um, 50 contributors in the book, um, there's always someone to help. And of course, um, Peter Yazi, who's um, not only uh, a, a fabulous uh, human being, but also, you know, the, the world's uh, uh, leading scholar on, on fair use, he, uh, he uh, uh, you know, helped us with this. And, uh, right. And so I used uh, quite a bit. And we have, we have a couple of those examples. So we've, we've provided some editorial comments in, in the image captions. So I think, especially for people who are interested in particularly the, the IP side of it, um, actually can read about you know the, the making of, so to speak, in, in some of the captions uh, to the stories, which I think is, a, is, is an additional layer yeah, I think what's interesting, and you know, maybe we can sort of um, like s sort of wrap up by by talking about a little bit about the future of IP, and it's almost like, again, I think this book really hits a sweet spot in terms of where we are in terms of IP and fair use, because I don't know, from my perspective, it it. If, if we think about, you know, society in a hundred years, it seems that, you know, now that we're in the digital age, I could easily imagine a lot of brands and corporations like Apple and Google still being around and still being like very eager to enforce or perhaps over enforce their IP rights in yeah. ways that we probably couldn't have said a hundred years ago. Exactly. And, and as a result, I think it's, I think this book really, um, you know, speaks to the, the, the need f for both IP, because it can, it can offer, you know, rewards for innovation and so on and so forth, but also for fair use. And, and that's going to be such an interesting battle. Um, Going. I couldn't agree more. There's actually two two immediate responses I have to that. I think the chapter on uh, the kinetoscope, surprisingly, which is uh, the very first uh, film projector, if you like, uh, in invented by Edison. The chapter has been written by uh, Peter Shirley, and and I think it's just wonderful the way it draws that parallel between what Edison was doing, uh, and sort of a, a personalized entertainment. Uh, uh, view, I guess, of the world, which which was a little bit too early for the world, and then he draws that parallel with uh, what Steve Jobs was doing uh, about 100 years later, and how he sort of claims that Edison was paving the way for Steve Jobs and his renewed interest in, in that personal viewing experience. So I think 
I mean, hopefully the book in its entirety can, can sort of be maybe, you know, a, a breaking point between, um, I mean, people 50 years from now drawing that parallel with, with what's going on then. So I think that might be interesting, but also in terms of, um, I mean, speaking of Peter Yazi, I would recommend that everybody read his wonderful Reclaiming Fair Use book, because not only does he, um, you know, advertise for the balance of the IP system, so on, on the one hand, you want to incentivize, uh, you know, creators to keep creating, but on the other hand, you want to uh, you want the the everyday person to be able to to use you know material that technically belongs to someone else, um, but what he I think most importantly describes is this world of fear um, that goes with it, which is which is what you just said, right? And which is what we've experienced very much uh, in putting the book together: the fear of people um, to to take a risk. Right, understanding what your risk is, and then go ahead with, no, I actually can do this. Um, so I think, uh, especially in a digital age, it's uh, it's it's incredibly uh, important that we don't also teach IP as things that are not allowed, which I see in my field is often the way it is taught, but very much as a way to, um, you know, empower people like understand it so well that you understand what you can do with it yes um, and i think that's that's for me very much the future um of ip not something that we should be scared of but something that we understand and then can actually use to our to our benefit especially when it comes to creative professions yeah well i mean i think on that note we can wrap it up but i will say i think that philosophy resonates so perfectly through the entire book and i think you know anyone who's anyone who's interested in in intellectual property you know should definitely pick it up but i think what my hope is that anyone who's you know <laughs> who has ever used a product in the book which is pretty much everybody will um have something of interest to find in this book and I, I you know I, I want to thank you and Dan for uh, putting it all together and it was it was just a real pleasure to publish it I'm so happy that I'm finally to, you know able to say that to you in person I mean you've been such a enthusiastic uh, promoter of, of this uh, I, I think ever since we first brought it to you I think you know from proposal to contract was just like six weeks or whatever you were so enthusiastic and you've really pulled it from uh from the inside and yeah thank you so much yeah my pleasure a wonderful journey and uh i really hope that people people like it you know and especially i don't know maybe maybe young people who are about to make a really important decision on what they're going to study i think if i would have found this when i was uh, 17 then you know Maybe I would have gone this way. I don't know. Um, I really hope that people like reading it and you know um, keep uh, yeah, do, do some additional research of themselves. Yeah, I think so. And I think it, as time goes on, I think it'll be an important historical document of where we are right now, which is also yeah, interesting so to think about. Let's see, tw twenty years from now, where uh, 
where we are. Yeah. Okay, Cloudy. Uh, well, thank you again, and I think we'll thank sign you. off.